0: The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by ElectroFlex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. And welcome in, everybody, to the Sportscaster and Her Son. This is where sports kind of bridges the gap between the generations, uh, X, Y, and Z. And um, Jason and me, I guess that's the easiest way to say it. You can find the Sportscaster and Her Son on Apple and SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play, wherever you get your audio. I am your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago for 17 years, 18 years now. Wow.
1: And I'm Jason Conander, contributing writer for various websites, including minor league ball, fan-sided, busting brackets, into Windy City, and I'm in high school.
0: And you're my son. You know, we don't always get along. We have arguments. We agree. You know, it's typical mother and son. But we do have what, Jason? We share a love for sports, right? Yeah. We do, right? We, yeah. b- we talk sports a lot at home. Yeah. And so that was the idea behind the podcast, and that is to cross over the generations and talk sports yesterday, today, and tomorrow. In this episode, we are going to talk women in sports. What is taking so long? I have to ask you, Jason, why are you laughing already? As soon as I say the title, you start laughing.
1: I just think it's the most cliche title I've ever seen in my life. Oh, Okay, so what would you have called this? Just women in sports.
0: So you, by saying women in sports, it leaves that, oh, everything's fine oh, and dandy. Women in sports, women everything's are, good. Women
1: are already in sports, so right? I don't really understand why you're saying, like, what's taking so they're already here,
0: but a lot of people don't support them, and it's, that's why it's what's taking so long. How come people aren't then you supporting? Can, okay, women in you know sports? what I would have
1: said? I would have said, "Women in sports, where's the love?"
0: Where's the love? I like that. Maybe we will change it. All right, where's the love? Yeah. So where is the love for women in sports?
1: I don't know. That's why we're asking where it is.
0: <laughs> Do you know what uh, Title IX is?
1: Yeah. Okay, yes.
0: tell me, give me a, a lesson in Title IX. What so, should I know about Title IX?
1: Title IX, I actually believe it doesn't necessarily only refer to sports. I think it's just equal opportunity for everything um, for men and women. But one of the things that I identify Title IX by is uh, would be, I believe, Division I. Actually, all colleges have to have the same amount of men's sports as women's sports. Um, could be wrong. I think I'm actually right. Um, But in brief, (laughs) Title IX is just equal opportunity for both genders.
0: Exactly. Based on uh, non-gender discrimination. So even though now it is uh, oftentimes it means um, anyone that identifies with um, a specific gender, you cannot discriminate against them. Um, If you take federal funding. So if you are a university, a school district, you take federal funding, you cannot discriminate based on gender. It also refers to sexual assault victims, um, believe it or not. It has become a very widespread um, act. But back in 1972, it was supposed to be kind of the civil rights for women, and it was supposed to give women and young girls equal opportunity in sports. So like you said, if you offer six Boys after school sports programs, you have to offer the same amount for girls. Okay. the The difference is football has so many, such a bigger roster. You can't possibly find a girls' sport that has the the same number. So okay. you might have, uh, badminton, um, tennis, uh, track and field. You might have, maybe four smaller sports for women. Okay. So, um, when I was playing in um, grammar school. I couldn't try out for the boys. I tried to try out for the boys' team, and they wouldn't let me. Why are you laughing at that already? I, you think this is funny because you see girls playing sports all the time. I don't think I'm that old, but I could not try. I didn't have a, we didn't have a girls' basketball team in sixth grade. Okay. Why was that funny? I, you have to be able to talk about why it's funny.
1: I, I actually don't, I laugh at everything. Okay. It's kind of, kind of an issue for me. All right, then I'm really going to ignore funny. your laughing
0: and I'm just going to continue with my little story okay. here that I tried to play out, uh, try out for the boys basketball team in sixth grade and I I was, no, I was told to go home because the girls team plays in seventh grade and I had to try and they said try out next year. Oh, okay. Well, you didn't say, you did Well, didn't say I, that you didn't earlier. let me get through it. You didn't let me get through my story okay, before well, you started laughing at me. <sighs> This is what it's like at home, I swear to God. So I went home, and my mom said, well, you go back there and tell them they should have a girls team. And I went back there, and they thought, oh, very cute, little Peggy, um, but that's okay. You can play intramurals this year, and then next year come out. Intramurals, intramurals out.
1: are fun, though. Yeah, intramurals was fun. those all throughout middle school. Yes. That was like a staple of my time. Yes, it was. Those were awesome.
0: But— There was a time when girls did not play organized team sports. As a matter of fact, you never met my mother, uh, Grammy Joe. She played six on six basketball when she was in high school at uh, Alvernia High School on the west side. Why was it six on six? Because you played half court and half court. Three. There were girls that played only defense and girls that played only offense. So So once you crossed half
1: court, three players would stay on one side. Exactly. Okay.
0: Exactly. Um, kind
1: of, why, and it, why was it only like that for the girls? Well,
0: because it was more ladylike. That.
1: It was uh, non-physical. Okay, okay,
0: okay. You didn't ma- have to make all this contact then.
1: Um, and like sprinting up and down the court and stuff. Right.
0: right we don't right. want them to break a sweat. God forbid they perspire, you know. Uh, and as a matter of fact, Illinois was the first state to ban girls playing organized sports back in 1907 uh, they thought that it wasn't ladylike enough so there was a time when girls were not allowed and now how do you look at
1: girls playing sports it's just kind of normal i mean it's like it's just like guys playing sports maybe not on a professional level but at least in high school it's just kind of like all right like you get kind of the same recognition to an extent um same respect same like Level of play, almost. So it's it's like normal. It's just part of the game.
0: I love it, and that's the way it should be. But we're going to talk to uh, an author, Melissa Isaacson, who wrote a book called State, and it is uh, chronicling the nineteen seventy nine Niles West girls basketball championship team. You already know the ending because it's called State, and the it shows them cutting down the nets. But it's the story that went into that team, uh, just seven years after. Title IX passed, the story around the opportunity that was given to these uh, young women is really what makes this book so intriguing. Cool. So let's bring in my friend and uh, former colleague, uh, Melissa Isaacson. She used to write for the Chicago Tribune and ESPN, and she is the author of State. And we found out I don't know, partially through uh, our careers, that we actually played basketball against each other. She played at Niles West, I played at Resurrection High School, and Melissa joins us right now on the sportscaster and her son. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Peggy.
2: Yes, we did find out, and uh, probably like, we probably came to blows at some (laughs) point, I'm sure. I'm not sure. I oh, We came to find out. Well, thank
0: yeah. you for joining us uh, with me and Jason.
1: <laughs> can I can I just ask something oh, right no. off the bat? Right off
0: the bat, he's going to start on me. I know. <laughs> it. Was
1: was my mom actually good at basketball? Because I find it really hard to believe that she was all state.
2: Okay, you need to be friends with my kids because, like, they yeah. They, they they have the same cynical attitude. Of course, we were both gifted. Are you kidding? She was. I don't think. I think she's all American. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure. And I hit the game winning shot to win the state championship. Did I mention that?
0: Oh, right. I know. I have In to keep telling you. I have to. Why do we throw out all those trophies and and uh, ribbons and everything because our kids never believe that we were actually no. athletes? But Melissa, we were just talking about uh, Title Nine and. 1972, equal rights for women in sports and uh, no gender equity or gender equity, it should be um, back in 1972. But take us back a little bit. And, and Jason, this is all new for Jason because it's it's normal for of him course. to see girls playing sports. And take us back to 1972. What were you doing? What were your opportunities playing sports? And then what did Title IX do for you by the time you got to high school?
2: Right. So I would have been, you know, going on going on 11 years old. So, you know, just that age where for me anyway, I was chasing around the neighborhood boys and my brother specifically and my little neighbor, Anthony Lanzalotti, who um, if he's out there listening, he couldn't possibly be. I have no idea. I haven't talked to him in 50 years, but, uh, you know, playing catch with him and, and literally pressing our noses against The fence, you know, watching the boys' Little League teams and and just being so unbelievably jealous that they had these cool uniforms and cool hats. And, like, I knew I could play almost as well as at least some of them. And so there was, at that time, this feeling of just great jealousy and longing on the part of girls like me um, who really just... Didn't know what we were missing, but kind of did know what we were missing because it was all around us. And so was was I aware of the legislation, Title IX, if you would have told me at 11? Like, absolutely not. You know, I I, um, was too busy entering junior high and being, you know, horribly self-conscious about pretty much everything. But then they started a girls' basketball team, and all I knew was they allowed seventh and eighth graders, and I was a sixth grader. So, again, I was, you know— up against a closed door. Literally, I could picture myself so much in this little teeny-tiny theater kind of gym, you know, with the stage on one side, um, and begging the coach, uh, gym teacher, Mrs. Uh, Fugate, and she was Miss Miss to let me play, to let me try out. And she shooed me away, and, you know, I can't let you, because then I have to let all the sixth graders, you know, as if there was 10 billion sixth-grade girls lined up behind me. There wasn't. It was just me you know, being a you know, a, a pest. Um, but so that's, it was just like sort of this feeling of great longing and it took a while after title nine passed, there wasn't title nine police running around mm-hmm. the country, you know, enforcing the law. I mean, it wasn't like that at all for many, many years. and sure it still isn't, you know, it takes people sort of complaining about various things and there's all kinds of resentment toward title nine over the years. We don't have to go into it right this second, but, um, so, you know it meant for me an entire world opening up. you know eventually, I did get to play junior high basketball as rudimentary as it was at the beginning, and then Lincolnwood, where I grew up, brought in a girls' softball league and um same thing you know they they you know good for them, they sort of had the forethought to just allow mothers to coach and There were plenty of fathers who were standing along screaming at the mothers and telling them what to do. But they kind of had the right idea. And so when I say the world opened up, I think, Peg, you could relate to it. It was as if, you know, I, I think I used the expression in the book, it was like the magician tipping his hat and showing us the tricks because... in in basketball in high school and they started explaining things about strategy and you know weak side and strong side and traps and it was like this secret language in this secret world that was just all of a sudden we we got it we were being allowed in not just into the gym but just into this world of lessons learned and cliches and and great cliches and, you know, setting goals and be tough, Mm -hmm. you know, no one expected us to be tough and to sweat and to, you know, push ourselves past the point of uh, exhaustion and to be super competitive. That was not encouraged in girls at that age. So, so it was, it was to me, it completely and utterly changed my life and altered my future. When you were finally, it sounds able... so dramatic, but it's true. Yeah, that's okay. I'm sorry. Okay. As I was saying it, I was like, "Wow!" That's <laughs> <really cool." laughs>
1: but it's what, true. When you were finally able to play basketball and saw, was it everything that you had anticipated that it would be, or was it kind of like, "All right, like we still have a little while to go before this is normalized, before this is played like the men's sport," or was it just kind of like you were so excited to play it didn't even matter.
2: Yeah, I mean, some of the simple things that that you know big boys take for granted, like getting the uniforms. That was everything I hoped for and more. I mean, that was like, are you kidding? We get uniforms and, you know, hats. Like I just wanted a hat with an L on it. And and our first softball uniform in Lincolnwood had this very girly girl depiction of uh, the logo was like, the girl's hair was from the '50s, like this curly bob. Just picture the '50s. She, you know, and I just remember cringing a bit at that depiction. <laughs> like that's our mm-hmm. logo? Can't we just have the L? You know, like the boys do. But, um, but it was still so thrilling and exciting. But at the same time, yeah, you know, I was impatient. I'm impatient now. I was impatient then. And I described those first softball teams. And softball was my favorite sport. I adored basketball, but I was a little better at softball. And I described the first teams in Lincolnwood as basically having one girl on every team who would hit a home run every time up. And I was one of those girls. And that And that doesn't mean I was so gifted, but, you know, I mean, one girl pro- played with their brothers and could make contact. And everyone else kind of were scared, you know, of the mm-hmm. ball coming near them. And so I was, yeah, I wanted... Action, you know, I wanted right away to be in, in maybe a little more competitive atmosphere, so there's some funny stories in the book about those early days.
0: you know what i remember and, missy uh, yeah, i re- I remember sure. when. I made the Immaculate Conception Grammar School team, and our colors were powder blue. And I came home, and I needed $15 for gym shoes, for my Chuck Taylor mm. gym shoes.
1: Those yep. are cheap.
0: $15. Yeah. What you would Chuck get, Taylors like, go for now, right?
1: Chuck Taylor's probably like 60 bucks now, but just thinking that's probably equivalent to like Kobe's today, which you're like, 250 bucks a foot locker. That's like, that's incredible. And the, I'm so, sorry, continue and the
2: vintage off. ones, yeah. And, on and, eBay. and
0: remember, we would, I came home and I had nine brothers and sisters. And I and I said to my dad, I'll babysit, I'll do whatever <laughs> it takes to raise that $15. And then you go to get the shoes from, you order them from the coach, and he gets them from the men's
2: section. From the boys, of course. We didn't have girls' basketball shoes. They didn't have they shoes were for, for me, girls. they were big. Yeah, right? they were gigantic. Yeah. Right?
0: And and the, and the were, socks, we had the tube socks that were meant for boys, and they went, you know, over our knees. I mean, oh my yeah. gosh. I they did us no favors. Like, here you could play sports, but we're not going to make you look good or feel good doing it, you know, with what the, the uniforms are that we're giving you. I mean, it was funny. It was really funny. Jason,
2: We had to, girls have thinner feet than boys, generally speaking. They're so I wore three pairs of socks to fill out the shoes so that they wouldn't fall off. Oh, my gosh. And and was thrilled, though. I'm sure Peggy was thrilled, too, that, that, you know, you even had them. But then it was, like, boyish, so I remember my mom was like, oh, they're so wide, and yeah, and, and my friend Connie on our team collected Coke bottles to, to raise money for her gym shoes. So, yeah, she was a, in a family of 11, so she could relate. Yeah,
0: I, It was crazy. It, it was absolutely, and then you'd tie the gym shoes by the laces and fling them over your shoulder when you were going to a game. So Oh, Jason. yeah. <laughs> Go on. Jason's
2: rolling his eyes. Yeah, he's like, no, just, no, 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 no. Uh, I promise
1: you I'm not. I no. promise you I'm not. I want to ask about the high school game. Title Nine came into play when you were 11, 12. So by the time you were in high school, it had been a couple of years. Did you see, like, the competitive nature of the game pick up more players? You said, like, the softball team is, like, one girl that could actually, like, hit a home run. Did it turn to, like, for basketball, like, everyone that was out there was kind of, like, deserved to be out there, kind of knew what they were doing. Did you see the competitiveness, like, pick up, or was
2: it still kind of Yeah, I did. I mean, because I think by the time you're 13, 14, even if it was just, you know, a little bit, of experience with grammar school or junior high, in our case, um, basketball or chasing around your brothers. If if you're going out for a team in the mid 70s uh, in high school, you're pretty coordinated. You know, there weren't too many girls that would be persuaded. It wasn't cool. Okay, it was far from cool to try out for sports as a girl. So you really had to like it and to probably have shown some form of coordination and most of us found any other alternative like cheerleading to be unacceptable and not, (laughs) and just not, you know, that wasn't, we would have been uncoordinated. I was, I couldn't have done a cartwheel to save my life. And so, um, so I think we were pretty good And you know, looking around the gym as, as a freshman, I thought the seniors were a grown women. You remember that feeling. I mean, they were like, are you kidding? They're, you know, they're just grown women. They may as well have been 30. And some of them, yeah, you know, they they had some skills, but certainly those four years, the next four years, I mean, were unbelievable in the growth of the game and just, you know, they also, Jason, they didn't let us play. And Peggy, you could back me up on this one. The refereeing at first, especially when women, refereed in the early years because they were just learning the game and so they wanted to follow the rules by the book so just think about a game where if you make any contact at all oh. the whistle's blown mm-hmm. and, and play stopped and god forbid your your plant foot you know um slides a tiny bit or or that you're in the lane for 3.1 seconds okay the whistle's going to blow because they Felt like they're going to enforce the rules so there was other things kind of restricting the game from being really as good as it could have been i think also and and you know that growth was you know it, it took a little while but you could see it you could definitely see the progress for sure
0: melissa in your book state you even talk about your first coach arlene Mulder, who went on to become uh, mayor of arlington heights illinois and um even she as a first-time coach was intent on keeping you guys ladylike. She was right. intent on making sure that you girls could still be ladies and yet play the sport. Give us an idea of some of her ladylike rules that kept you guys right. you know, acting like ladies.
2: You know, that, that was her instinct. But I think she was also afraid that our parents, that our mothers specifically, would be, come to the school and like have her fired or you know not that they would do that in those days but you know would be mad at her and would keep us from the team I think she had that little bit of fear too but she was absolutely steeped in that 1940s 1950s consciousness and so the smallest things like at the time boys used these water bottles on the bench that I think are long gone now but they there are these big water bottles with this long nozzle, and anybody our age would remember them. That you, the boys would squirt them into their mouths, and um, that was like again cool, like uniforms. We just wanted to be like the boys and have the same kind of cool stuff. And she thought that was horrendously unladylike, and so we had Dixie cups. You know, we had to drink from Dixie cups, and then we weren't allowed to throw like a chest pass to the ref. You know, if if you got. You know, there was a traveling call. Say, and you get you mad. Out and, to, yeah, yeah. She was afraid you. If you threw a chest pass, that you might get a little mad. It would be a little too hard. So we had to throw bounce passes um, to the referees, and it went on and on. You know how we had to dress. Um, you know before games, which a lot of coaches in the years since have. You know.
0: Well, and we and, to, and, and yet we were, were tomboys. We were tomboys, yes. but yes. we kind of shunned that label now because there's such a negative connotation. So it seems like we we're were we still trying to figure out, you know, for years how to walk that line of being uh, yeah. young women that play sports. But, you know, everyone doesn't look at us like, oh, we're just a bunch of tomboys.
2: Right. Because, you know, we're in high school. So we wanted to still, you know, most of us um, attract the attention of boys or, or just, you know, not appear weird or like outcasts. And, you know, the one distinction I have to point out sort of in defense of Ms. Smulder, she wasn't just insisting that we be ladylike for, for you know, any old sake. Her idea was, I'm going to push you so hard on the court. I'm going to demand greatness from you and push you beyond, you know, your limits. And so it's okay. You can still be a lady off the court, but you're going to be an athlete, and I'm going to teach you how to be an athlete. So I think she thought maybe that would be more digestible for us, too you know, that um, it's okay to to do these things that weren't encouraged in girls before, that that weren't, you know, she, uh, the centers and the forwards on our team had an expression, she would say, be mean, be mean. And it was, it was so foreign to them. Our center, Bridget Bergoin used to write on you know, index cards. We had to write our goals before every game. She'd write, be mean. And Diane Hint because that meant when you go up for a rebound, go strong and come down with your elbows out and box out. And again, things that boys, of course, do instinctively. But girls, you feel like you're being too aggressive. And too. so it was be mean. Isn't that funny that um, that's that's how they sort of developed in their game was was to, to learn how to be mean. It wasn't mean. It was just being a, an athlete, you know.
1: How did, how did the boys' teams react and accept you guys, the girls' teams?
2: Um, I think the boys were not all that interested in what we were doing because their coaches, you know, largely didn't love that we were in the gym. I mean, we had one coach, Billy Schnur, who really fought for us. Um, and I'm not going to say, you know, I can sit here and be like, they were against us because we played against the freshman boys at one point and they were wonderful. And we beat them fairly badly on a routine basis. And they were really supportive of us, but how we got better was playing against sort of the gym rat boys, right? The boys who were not necessarily on teams or, or the generally managers, not on. Yeah. Yeah. They were definitely not on the basketball team, but they were decent enough players. They played in intramurals and they were, you know, the guys who hung around. And so, those were the guys that we really cut our teeth playing against and they were coached up for, you know, we played against them secretly for a while. And then they were kind of coached up by um, other coaches to play against us. First, they told them, don't follow them. Don't play rough. Be careful. Be careful. Don't, you know, have any contact. But then they said, no, no, now you can follow them. Now don't give them a clear path to the lane. And then by the end, you know, we were just, playing as rough and tough as is anybody but yeah in those early days in the gym when no one knew at four thirty in the morning that we were playing against boys they would knock us down not trying but you know elbowing out for a rebound and somebody would catch an elbow in the forehead and before the girl would even hit the ground we'd all scream get up you're fine because we were afraid that we we're afraid if someone cried or you know got on the ground and stayed there that somebody would find out we'd never we'd be in trouble and we wouldn't be allowed to play against the boys.
0: Wow. Isn't that something? Hey, um, in the book, you also talk about how basketball and being on a team and this team in particular was really important, not not just for uh, gender equity, but really, what gender equity can do for young women, and that is give them an opportunity and they can go in so many different directions with that opportunity. And what we, what we find out in your book, State, is that it became a release and an oasis for so many young girls on your team that you guys did not even realize were going through some very difficult times at home.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I you know told the story to you, Peg, that um, and you agreed. You know, back then, and you know, for years before the advent, really for sure, of social media and the internet and stuff, you didn't talk about other people's business, what was going on in in other people's homes. You know, if your parents were getting divorced or. Um, you know you had uh, god forbid you know alcoholism or, or abuse in the home it was definitely not something anybody knew about or you would you would talk about um and you know so what i found out in later years it was one of the most sort of rewarding and, and fascinating and i don't even know how to put into words parts of my reporting we're finding out as an adult what we didn't know as children as teenagers and so while I had my own issues at home, my parents were showing sort of the first, very earliest stages of Alzheimer's, both of them. They were really kind of depressed at that time. And um, my, my siblings had all left home. They were older than me. And it was sort of a lonely place in our house and kind of a dark, you know, not really happy place. And then when we started playing, they really got a second wind in life is how my siblings described my parents in in those years and became, you know, among our biggest supporters. And for others, there were, you know, deaths in the family, terrible tragedies, and like I said, alcoholism and mental illness and some really serious things going on behind closed doors. And basketball literally, you know, everybody can relate to having a refuge in life and, and uh, therapy going to whatever they like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it did for us. It gave us, but not just get, going to the gym and getting out of our houses, but having growing this immense feelings of self-esteem um, and confidence that helped us deal with the stuff at home. And so, you know, that too was... Um, it was really instrumental and really crazy transformative in those in those 4 years of what happened to us.
0: Well, I have to tell you when I reading the book, I just absolutely have a smile on my face throughout so much of it because I remember those times. It's a, a great walk back in time into the 70s when we all wanted Gloria Vanderbilt jeans. Uh, we had mood rings that really never changed, you know, between one or two colors. Um, and the camaraderie that we first learned being on teams for our first time. It was so wonderful. It brought me back to when my mom used to sit in the stands. And, you know, my mom is uh, is gone now. And she would sit in the stands and, yeah. and yell and she'd go Peggy shoot, Peggy shoot, shoot the ball and I'd be like mom we're playing defense we're on defense you know but it was such I don't know it was a great release for our family our parents too and you know my mom was a housewife as well and and this was in some ways opportunities for her that she didn't have Um, it's just Melissa I love the book State it's such a a fabulous walk back Uh, like I I told Jason we know the ending uh, because it's called state, so you guys win right. the state championship. But it was the journey to get there uh, that is such a delight to read. And I, I can't thank you enough for writing it finally and taking us back uh. and really um, showing people what it means to to give girls an opportunity. So, and thank you for teaching Jason a few things as well, like girls can't play basketball. I don't we let
2: word in edge Wait, Jason, did you talk? I can't remember <laughs> because we, yeah, we I no. It was such a pleasure, Jason. Thank you for being interested. I really think that guys your age and older, um, I've had men read the book, and, and I think it isn't a girl's book. It isn't a sports book. I hope that, you know, men will enjoy it and guys will enjoy it and, um, you know, kind of all ages. I really think it resonates or it will resonate, hopefully, with different readers and young and old and all of us, Yeah.
0: Thank That's you, Melissa. Hope, anyway. Thank you so much. I appreciate much. it. And they can get the book. Um, tell us where we, we can find your bookstore. Well,
2: bookstores as of Tuesday, August 13th, you could get that uh, any bookstores. Um, and now at Amazon, you go to my website, com, and order it. But you can, uh, it links to Amazon. But yeah, if you order it now, it'll be there probably tomorrow or the next day. So I love it. Yep, it's Good Thank luck. You Thank you, Melissa. Thank you so much. All right.
0: Okay, so we talked to Melissa about Title IX, how it gave them the opportunity for her teammates in um, the 1979 Niles West Girls Basketball Championship uh, basketball team from Illinois. Jason, let's bring it over to today. Let's, let's talk about this issue because I kept saying, you know, what's taking so long? I wanted to call this episode uh, Women in Sports, What's Taking So Long? And you said, what did you say?
1: So said, what why are you calling it? What's taking so And
0: you want to long? call it what?
1: Where's the love?
0: Where's the love? Okay. So where's the love for the for the US women's Soccer oh, it's team.
1: there. Okay, it's there.
0: Let, okay, so let, let's talk about this. So in March, all 28 members of the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team filed a lawsuit against uh, USA Soccer, the U.S. Soccer Federation, um, claiming gender discrimination for equal pay. And this has created quite the, the discussions. Uh, they won the World Cup for the fourth time. fans were chanting in France on the field after the USA team won they started chanting equal pay, equal pay, equal pay, equal pay. US women's soccer jerseys are all-time best-selling soccer jersey in one season according to Nike they Is, ju- is that for men and women? Yes, for men and Sheesh. women, right? Right? So
1: I mean that's kind of surprising to me though cuz like I haven't like I was just at Lala last week. That's kind of like the jersey hub.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't really see like, you know, women's soccer jerseys.
0: But women don't wear jerseys to Lala. They wear their No, props. men.
1: No, like men too.
0: Yeah, but it's women who are going to buy the women's Not soccer necessarily. jerseys. You just, think like men how, buy just
1: like how women wear like men's jerseys. Why can't men wear women's jerseys? Good
0: question. But do they?
1: That's why I'm surprised that it's a top-selling jersey ever in one season. Yep. Kind of need both genders to pitch in for that.
0: So you would think so, right? Yeah. And and so then we get to um, the fact that the men failed to qualify for the World Cup in, in 2018, and yet the disparity in pay is it's pretty big. It's pretty crazy. So the men's World Cup prize pot is $400 million million went to France, okay? The women's is $30 million, and the USA women, I believe, got $4 million for winning the World Cup. Now, I will agree that it's a global... These are global numbers. So I agree that globally, women's soccer is not as big as men's soccer.
1: So you said... The men's it was what, like four hundred million? Four
0: hundred million, was, 400 million, the, million the prize was the prize money. money.
1: And how much went to the winning team? Thirty eight million. Thirty eight million. So that's a little under ten that's like nine nine and a half percent. Okay. And then the women it was how much was thirty million. Thirty million and they got eight mil, four four million four million million, which is like eleven percent. Okay. So they they still get more of a per, so it's not necessarily a matter of like how much cash is being committed. It's more of how much total money is going into the actual World Cup because that prize pool is generated from the revenue of the World Cup. So it's the amount of people attending the World Cup, the amount of people watching it. The, it it's not necessarily— Okay, you
0: bring up a good point. Okay, FIFA is who decides—they they run World Cup, okay? okay? The U.S. women's national team is not suing FIFA so they, no, they're
1: suing USA Soccer, Exactly. Right? Yeah. So they
0: would agree with your assessment that they are getting a, a higher percentage.
1: So it's more of an issue on their yearly salaries from USA exactly. Soccer. Exactly.
0: It's okay. more about yearly salaries and the fact that USA Soccer, the U.S. Soccer Federation, brings in the money on the TV ratings stateside, okay? Right. So the TV ratings were off the chart, and the TV ratings is really what was – Huge, huge, uh, a big disparity. Um, the TV ratings indicated that more U.S. viewers watched the women's final match than watched the men's World Cup final last year in the United States. So last year's men's final was France and Croatia.
1: Okay, but here's a, how many how many casual soccer fans in America are going to be intrigued by France or Croatia game?
0: It doesn't matter. You're you're getting a percentage right. of the TV. Right, yeah, of the yeah, TV yeah, dollars. Yeah. Okay, so the women's final was the most watched soccer match in the United States since 2015, which was also the women's final. So the two most watched soccer matches on television in the United States are in the women's, past five
1: years, yes,
0: are and women's. The men's
1: World Cup, the men's team hasn't been in the World Cup since 2014. So when so. you
0: get money. From FIFA, they they give it to the U.S. Soccer Federation
1: Okay.
0: based on ratings. USA Soccer gets to decide where that money goes to. And proportionately, they give more money to the men. When really, if the women are bringing in the viewers and have brought in the most viewers, they should be getting more money. And instead, it's what... U.S. Soccer Federation decides okay. to put it towards right, and and that's in salaries, yeah, and yeah, in
1: yeah, bonus yeah, yeah, yeah. money. But not, as, I'm not saying that that's, that's like the right move. But when you look at the men's team, even if the, say the men play in the World Cup, in what 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 will it be 2022, and they make a run in the World Cup, I think. And again, I'm not saying that this is right, but just from a pure numbers standpoint. I think the men making it out of their opening round pool gener- would – I think that that TV money, I think that would actually generate more money than the women winning the championship. So, okay, you're saying – I think No, I think that what USA Soccer is trying to do – and again, I don't think that this is right. But just from a business standpoint, what I think they're trying to do is they're looking at what has more potential – what is the potential to make us more money? I was putting all of our eggs in one basket for the men's team and making it more enticing to play for the men's team.
0: Yeah, but you can't. You can't base it on. You can't base it on potential. You have to reward them for the facts, and the facts are they have brought in the two largest viewing audiences. So here's what the lawsuit says, that if U.S. Women's National Team and the U.S. Men's National Team each played and each won 20 exhibition games, the women would earn a maximum of $99,000 for the season. That's just under $5,000 per game. The men would earn $263,320, which is over $13,000 per game. The men get a $5,000 bonus per game played. So it's it's how you, the U.S. Soccer Federation is actually allocating the money okay. that is not fair. It's not FIFA. FIFA says, here's all the money you guys get. You decide how, how to... Figure it out, who gets what money. And so, Jason, when you said that there's a lot of um, discrepancies in the argument, you're right, there's a lot of misunderstanding. The women's game is not promoted like the men's game. There is That's why the revenue is down. That's why they don't bring in as much revenue. It's because, and it, don't you think that's with any women's sports? They don't yeah. promote them.
1: They don't promote I, them I, I don't like know the if men's. I don't know if it's as much of a lack of promotion. I just think that, mm, no, because I I think that saying, like, lack of promotion, like, deciding that is, like, a source for lack of income, I think that's kind of, like, easy. But at the end of the day, like, if you have the same amount of commercials for, like, a women's sport as a men's sport, I don't, I don't really know how much of a difference that makes. I think that it might be something – I no, I, I really don't. It's the don't.
0: essence of marketing.
1: Yeah, but, like, when I'm watching TV, I, I don't watch something just because I see a commercial from it. Like, I watch something because I want to watch it.
0: But you would not know you would not know about all the NBA players that you follow without the promotion that is behind them. Leagues promote their players; they promote yeah. their stars. It's yeah, the biggest yeah, yeah, argument yeah, yeah. with Major League Baseball that they haven't promoted their stars enough. No, yeah, that's true. So a league should be promoting more of their players. Now you can also say, well, the, the stars on USA, um, the women's soccer team, they do have marketing. Uh, yeah. contracts with yeah. the, the shoe clubs and things like right. that. Um, they have shoe deals. It's the other women on the team that are not getting those. Yeah. So, you know, the point is this, that uh, – It's okay to have the discussion about gender equity. It's okay, you know, but people need to really know the facts. Um, And and with that, I just want to to close with uh, the CEO of Women's and Women Employed, uh, Charita Ellens. It's an organization that um, has fought for equal pay since 1973. And she says, women are paid less than men in nearly every industry, every occupation, and at all levels. This is not unique to the USA women's soccer team. The gap has only closed by a nickel in the 21st century. Women are often paid less despite having comparable education, skills, and experience. And maybe it's time, you know, it's gotten a lot of discussion with what the U.S. women's soccer team has been doing and with their lawsuit, and maybe it's time to just turn things around. And that's why I kept asking, what is taking so long when Title IX went into effect in 1972 and nearly 50 years later, we are still searching for gender equity? Okay, it's time for predictions, Jason. Tell me a few things we should look forward to. Sports, entertainment, personal, anything.
1: Okay, I know a lot of people are going to hate to hear this, but bad news. Cubs missed the playoffs this year.
0: Oh, my. So what?
1: sad. Yeah, I think— yeah i think it's gonna happen it's, it's been coming you have to win on the road you have to win on the road they're they're atrocious on the road i mean it's horrible it's wow. really really bad um so yeah I think that the, is
0: quite the bold prediction because yeah. they are in their it's window. bold but
1: it's also informed
0: okay Um. next
1: so i think the cubs miss the playoffs i think the bears make the playoffs football season's coming up
0: another team that is um, a a top Ten team in the NFL, if not top five. Top
1: five. They're the betting favorite to win the Super Bowl. There this you year. go. So, so, I think that they're going to make the playoffs. I don't want to jinx it any further, so I'll just say that. Um, oh, but
0: you're you're okay with jinxing the Cubs? Uh, I'm not a cu- I, okay. The, you're not a Cub fan. Yeah. I know. Okay. No. All um, right. Next.
1: Oof. Let me think. Third prediction. Um.
0: Maybe maybe like you'll be nicer to me. Maybe we'll you you can actually um. Do the dishes at home when people you cook for you? You never ask. You Why always text I? me. I you always have...
1: text me. Did I not ask you to load the dishwasher? No, you actually didn't ask me to load the Jason, dishwasher. Jason, you're 17
0: years old. I should not have to well, ask you. I
1: was you. asleep. It was 745 on a Saturday. I should not have to ask you those things. If someone
0: cooks for you, like me or your brother who cooks a lot, you should clean up. Right? That's my prediction. Only if I'm asked. Okay. My prediction is Jason's going to continue My prediction is to. we're
1: going to keep having this conversation for at least a couple more months.
0: All right, here's my closing thoughts. When I was playing basketball in fifth grade at Immaculate Conception Grammar School on the northwest side of Chicago, the year was 1977. I loved basketball. I shot hoops in my backyard. I shot hoops across the street on the gravel parking lot of the grammar school. Hours and hours I would shoot hoops. I absolutely loved basketball. Coming from a family of 10, it was my escape. It was my sport. No one else in my family. It's what separated me from the other siblings. And sure, I went on to be a second-team All-State, and All-City High School player at Resurrection High School in Chicago. I have to get that in, Jason, because I know you don't believe me. I've only
1: heard it. A million times. Okay.
0: Well, I did not play in college, but it was six years of grade school and high school that did influence me. It gave me the confidence. It it taught me how to play on a team, how to win, how to lose, that it's okay for girls to be competitive. And I carried all of that over into my adult life and into my career. It's also why I sit on the board of directors for an organization called Girls in the Game an organization that empowers young girls from neighborhoods of need through sports, health, and leadership programs in Chicago and Baltimore and Dallas and in downstate Illinois. And I want you to know that it is a great opportunity for these young girls and for their futures. And just a little reminder that you, too, have that opportunity to give girls a chance. Girls and women in sports, Jason, where's the love? And with that, I would like to thank you for joining us. Our thanks to Melissa Isaacson, author of the book State, out in bookstores and online now. Adam Yaffe for his amazing support and expertise, as always, in driving the podcast artwork and logo designed by Shay Conander. Please subscribe to our podcast, The Sportcaster and Her Son, on Apple, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, you know, it's everything, wherever you can listen. I think I repeated myself about 10 times. So please rate us. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and thesportscasterandherson.com.
1: You can find my stories on FanSide. You can also follow me on Twitter at Jason Conander. And you can find my moms on NBCChicago.com. As always, thank you very much for listening.
0: Until next time. See you later. The sportscaster and her son is brought to you by ElectroFlex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years, makers of liquidite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.